Thanks, guys. There was a journalist who um, was interviewing this lady who was 80 years old and had just married her fourth husband. And uh, she just married. Her, her most recent husband was a... I shouldn't say most recent. Her, her new husband uh, was a funeral director. And the journalist was very interested by this and intrigued. And uh, he said, tell me, what were the occupations of your first three husbands? And she said, well, the first one, he was a banker. Uh, the second one was a circus master. Uh, the third one was a minister. And uh, he said, wow, that's, that's really interesting. He said, but they don't seem to have anything in common. Um, tell me, what, why, why did you marry them all? And she said, well, uh, uh, there was uh, one for the money, uh, two for the show, three to get ready, and four to go. <laughs> so... <laughs> Oh, your new material, what about that, eh? What about that? <laughs> Why don't we pray again for a moment? I think it'd be good just to pray for Ballybean, pray for Jim this morning, and uh, pray God's blessing. So we thank you for the great night we had on Friday night. We just uh, thank you for Jim and the family being launched, as it were, into Ballybean. We just pray, Lord, this morning you'd be among your people there. And uh, we thank you to here with us here today, and uh, that you are our Father. You're a good Father. Lord, bless them. In Jesus' name, amen. So, end of November, Luke chapter 8, second half, uh, we were looking at uh, Jesus crossing the lake. He'd said to the disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake, and Jesus had calmed the storm. And uh, we also looked at the parable of the sower in that uh, Sunday, and um, we'd, we'd been reminded uh, by Luke, the gospel writer, that God is a God who is generous and who uh, communicates his message of love, his word, his seed, his truth uh, to all people indiscriminately. That he's very generous. It just, he, he reaches out to all, no matter what, because he wants all men and women, boys and girls, to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. And um, so they've headed across the lake the storm has been calmed on the way. I imagine the disciples are just sort of recovering, exhausted, probably soaking wet, and are just getting to grips with the fact that they nearly drowned. Jesus, with a word, calmed the storm. They were awestruck, even more frightened by the man in the boat than the storm. And they arrive on the shore at the other side. They get out, and I imagine one of the first things they want to do, despite the storm, is get back on the boat and head back the other way. Because as soon as they step out of the boat, there comes a man. Uh, he may not appear much like a man. He may look like more sort of Gollum or the Lord of the Rings. He, he basically uh, seeing this person come towards them. And I imagine they've never seen a human being like it before. Because he comes wailing incomprehensible things. He is naked. He is dirty. He is bleeding. He lives among the tombs. He lives in the cemetery, as it were. And he comes and he heads straight towards Jesus, shouting at Jesus. And Jesus, as always, remains completely calm. And I imagine the disciples are probably tucking in behind Jesus. And... Um, I think what Luke wants us to understand in uh, telling us the detail of this story is that no one is beyond the reach of God. From a Jewish perspective, from, from any perspective really, but from a Jewish perspective, this man appeared to be as lost from God as lost could, could be. 
in terms of Jewish purity thinking, that sense of uh, Jews being a, a people set aside by God, uh, marked by the holiness, uh, th- that they are people who have ha- exist to tell of God's goodness and grace to the world, and yet they are called to remain uncompromised by it. That's the call on the Jewish people. And into this reality of purity, Uh, there comes a man who seems to be on the other side of the fence, as it were, in terms of Jewish holiness. And so, first of all, he's naked. He's dirty. He's bleeding. He's a Gentile. He lives in a Gentile land because the Gerizines is a place where many Jews live, but it's mainly Gentile. We know that because of the herds of pigs on the hills. He's He's possessed by demons. He's a deeply troubled man. He's self-harming. He is isolated outside the community. He's in a land where there's pigs herding around. If there was anyone who was lost in terms of Jewish thinking, this man was lost. At the end of this chapter, with the Gerasene demoniac and with the accounts that Luke details afterwards, the big picture thing that Luke is telling us is that here are a series of people who from Jewish thinking are unholy, they're unclean. Don't touch them because if you touch them, you will become unclean yourself. And so we have the Gerasene demoniac in the land of the Gentiles. And then we also have Uh, Jairus' daughter, a young, dead girl of 12. And from Jewish thinking, you don't touch a dead person. If you do, you become unclean. You have to go through all sorts of ritual to become clean again. And the woman who comes and and touches Jesus, a woman who's had this issue of of bleeding for 12 years, does Jesus become unclean when she touches him? No. No. What Luke is telling us is amazingly, here is Jesus, and touched by the Gerizim demoniac, touched by the woman with the issue of blood, reaching out to touch the dead girl. It is not Jesus who becomes unholy or unclean. Everybody else is made whole. And so Jesus, Luke is showing us, is leaving a wake of wholeness and healing and restoration and life. Everything he is touching is coming to life and is being healed. And the reason for this, Luke is telling us in his writings in Luke and Acts, is because Jesus is God. Jesus is the Lord. And so look in his writings, he always has been referring to Jesus as Lord, the Lord of all. He uses the term and name for Jesus that is used in the Old Testament for Yahweh. Luke is proclaiming to all of his readers who are Gentiles, well, mostly Gentiles, that Jesus Christ is no other than the one true God of the Old Testament scriptures, and he is not just the Lord of the Jews, he is the Lord of all. This is the overarching message of Luke's writings. It's a message of reconciliation. That, that Luke is saying, here is Jesus. He is the center of the Jewish world. He is the center of the Roman world. And he's not just the Jewish king. He's actually the king of all. And what Luke wants us to understand is that 
he is contrasting the reality of the Roman Empire with the reality of the kingdom of God. That's what he's doing all throughout these works. It's a message of reconciliation. Reconciliation between human beings who are broken and lost and unclean and unholy with the holy God. It's a message of reconciliation between human beings. You see, the the political backdrop, as we mentioned last term, the political backdrop of all this is that Luke probably wrote his his gospel around the sort of 60s or 70s AD, so 30, 40 years after Jesus crucified and rises to life. Jesus foretold in one of his uh, prophetic uh, utterings that the Jerusalem, the temple, the stones would be, would be torn apart, would be leveled down. And the reality of that happened 40 years after his life. And what happened was that the Jewish people rose up in rebellion against the Romans, and the Romans crushed them. At this time, there was, there was this sort of 200-year period in history which uh, was called the Pax Romana, And the life of Jesus and his apostles come right in the middle of the Pax Romana, which means Roman peace. And so uh, in 55 AD, Seneca the Younger, one of the Roman uh, literary authors, uh, coined this term Pax Romana. And basically what it was, it was really celebrating the fact that our emperor is God. Our emperor is divine. And isn't it wonderful that Throughout the world, there's this wonderful time of peace. Because what had happened was uh, Octavian, uh, who became Augustus, the revered one, uh, self-styled, he declared a non-expansionist policy. In other words, he basically said, we have conquered all pretty much that's worth conquering. We're not going to conquer anymore. We're just going to We're going to hold what we have. We're going to have what we hold. We're going to uh, establish what we've got. We're going to concentrate on uh, political stability, and we're going to concentrate on uh, culture and resources, and uh, we're we're going to concentrate on those things. Uh, On the surface, to the the Roman uh, writers, it all looked great, except for the fact that all this had been brought about and all this was maintained by sheer brutality. So even though they didn't expand their borders during this 200-year period, what happened was if you were a nation inside the Roman Empire and you dared to question the authority of Rome, you were crushed. And that's what happened to the Jewish people, as Jesus foretold. They rose up against, and in 66 AD, this war broke out between the Jewish people and the Roman Empire. It raged for four years until A.D. 70. And by A.D. 70, the Roman Empire had pushed back the Jewish uh, military offensive just to the city of Jerusalem. And during that time, there there was extreme poverty in Jerusalem, so much so that actually people began to eat human flesh to stay alive. And they warred against each other inside the city of Jerusalem and their factions. And finally, the Romans broke through and they put people to the sword. Men, women, boys, girls, and babies to the sword. And then they tore everything down. That is the Pax Romana. And what Luke is saying in the context of this political backdrop 
He's writing this revolutionary message of peace, which the angels declared right at the start of Luke's gospel in Luke chapter 2, peace on earth and good will on those on whom his favor rests. And what Luke is telling us is this, the Pax Romana isn't peace at all. Because it's, it's by brutality that it's enforced. Luke is saying, there is one Lord of all, his name is Jesus Christ. And his rule is not one of brutality. His rule is one of peace and of love. And he is the Lord, not just of the Jews. He's the Lord of the Romans too. And so in Luke's gospel, we have, we have these illustrations of, of Luke showing that Romans gradually are coming to realize that Jesus Christ is Lord. So, so Luke, every time he mentions a Roman centurion, doesn't mention the Roman centurion in a negative light. He chooses ones who are beginning to come to faith or who come to faith in Jesus Christ. So in Luke chapter 7, we have the Roman centurion whose servant is ill. The servant dies and he says to Jesus, just give the word from afar and he will be well. And Jesus says, I have never seen faith like this, even in Israel. Luke chapter 23, centurion again at the cross. Surely this man was the son of God. Acts chapter 10, we looked at it at Jim's institution on Friday night. Cornelius, Roman centurion. The spirit falls on him and his household. He comes to faith in Jesus Christ. He is baptized. He takes the risk of being a Roman soldier who is a follower of Jesus Christ. What is Luke telling us? He's saying, look, here's centurions, the backbone of the Roman army. They are being won over to recognize that Jesus Christ is king. Do you see what Luke is doing? He's painting a picture. Jesus Christ is Lord of all. The Roman army don't stand a chance because the king of love is overcoming them, not by force, but by love. Imagine this message being heard by the Jewish people and the Romans who have just been involved in a brutal, bloody war of devastation of the city of Jerusalem and into this context, into the literary context of the Pax Romana, Luke says there is no Pax Romana because there's only one Lord of peace and his name is Jesus Christ and he was born a Jew. So Luke is showing us how Jesus, anointed by the Holy Spirit, the proof of his Messiahship, walks among people who are broken and who are lost and who are lonely and who are possessed and who are destructive. And he brings peace in his wake because he is the Lord of peace. So what does this mean for you and I today? Well, first of all, it means victory. The strange thing is this, that when Jesus Christ overcame the enemy, not the Roman army, not the Jewish religious elite, but the one true enemy, Luke tells us, who is called Satan. And when Jesus overcomes him on the cross, ultimately, he will look in physical appearance just like the Gerizim demoniac. Lonely, isolated, outside the tomb, in the place of death, the sins of the world upon him, bleeding 
by the Roman lashes, cut with the tiny stones in the Roman lash, just like the Gerizim demoniac has destroyed himself. In Jesus Christ, all of the sin and the rubbish and the brokenness come upon Jesus, and he looks just like the man who on the shore of the Gerizims comes to him and throws himself at his feet. And in that place, victory is won. Death, sin, hell swallowed up. Satan is overcome. There is victory. And so towards the end of that reading in Luke chapter 9, Jesus says to the 12, later the 72, and then to all of us, the Great Commission, go out, heal the sick, cast out demons. I'm giving you authority to do this. Be those who are reconcilers. Help people to be reconciled to God with Jesus Christ and also to be reconciled to one another, even people who have just been brutally killing each other in the political backdrop that is among us. It's also the message of healing. That for you and I, for all people, whether it's physical sickness, whether it's demonic possession, whether it's death, whether it's brokenness, whether it's lostness or sinfulness, there is none of us, there is no one beyond the holy touch of Jesus Christ. There is no one whom Jesus cannot reach out by his spirit and touch and heal, and they are made completely whole. And you and I, as followers of Christ, have been given authority and power in the name of Jesus Christ by the power of His Holy Spirit to exercise this reconciling ministry, to bring people into the kingdom of God, to encourage them to come to Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, to reach out to them and to touch them in the midst of brokenness or poverty or loneliness or whatever it happens to be and say, in the name of Jesus Christ, be well, be made whole. It's part of the victory that we have been given, that we submit to Christ, resist the devil, and he will flee from us. And the message of love, the reconciling message that for you and I, there is no other human being, there is no other group of people who are our enemies. Our response so often when we're hurt or double-crossed or betrayed, or let down, or whatever it happens to be, is to think that is the person who has wronged me. That is the person who's shown hatred to me and damaged me. Jesus says, and Luke reminds us, there is no human being who is your enemy. There is no nation who is your enemy. There is no people group or uh, ISIS. Uh, there is no person who is your enemy. There is one enemy, Satan, and he has been overcome. And so we share in that wonderful, um, those words of Paul the Apostle. The Gerizim demoniac in one way was the first apostles of the Gentiles, but I suppose Paul took upon him that, that name, following in the footsteps of the Gerizim demoniac. I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection of the dead. In Jesus Christ, there is life. 
And in that life, we follow in the footsteps of Jesus Christ. And in the wake of the people of God, there is wholeness, there is healing, and there is reconciliation. Because Jesus Christ, the name whom we bear, is the King of all, and he's the Lord of all.